Good evening, wool gatherers, and welcome to the 114th episode of Wanderings and Wool Gathering. Tonight, joining JPP, Metalhead Mundy, and me, your handsome host, Foggy, is a very special guest. She was selected as the best vocalist in 2021 at the ICMA Awards. She won Best Music Video at the Oneros Film Awards. I'll have to ask her if I said that correctly. And at the uh, Canadian Cinematography Awards, as you can see right there. Um, she has written two records and recorded two records with Billboard's number one charting musician, Tim Janssen, in 2015. Oh, there's Mr. Janssen. I'll have to ask her if that's how you say his name. I assumed it wasn't Janssen's. Hopefully I'm right. And then in 2015, she recorded uh, Metamorphosis, and we are all big fans of that. We're going to dig into that a little bit tonight. And then in 2020, she came back with Apogee, another fantastic record. Recently, our guest performed with our old pal, Michael Saravolo on Beauty and Chaos's Behind the Veil. She did a song called Orion, and it is a fantastic song. We are all huge fans of that. Recently, she was on uh, Chuck Wright's Sheltering Sky. Just came out a few weeks ago, and so we definitely wanted to dig into that. She's got three songs on that one. And prior to that, I guess, um, gosh, just a few months before that, she had another two songs with Harry Vato. She is a very, very busy lady. She has a beautiful voice and is a true artistic aesthetic to her that uh, I think everybody's going to enjoy. So I'd like to welcome Whitney Ty. Hey, guys. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Whitney. Goodness, that, that was a mouthful. You have done a lot in a very short time. <laughs> It does feel like that. <laughs> I have yes. I have a grievance. Uh -oh. Oh. You always call <laughs> yourself the handsomest one of the group. Oh, I, mean, I didn't say handsome. I didn't say handsomest. <laughs> I just said handsome. Uh huh. But <laughs> you all. always you always call us other things. So therefore, you're kind of setting the bar at a different level for Monday and I. Are you anti beard? <laughs> Let's get that out in the open. You no, all have some form of a beard. So <laughs> this is true. This is true. But I'm That's, the only one without a theme song. It, well. Yeah, um, there's reason for that too. Could be. Could be. <laughs> I'm a procrastinator. Let's get it right. <laughs> well, Miss Ty, how are you tonight? I'm doing good. Uh, still, still afternoon for me. The sun is shining. It's a beautiful day in LA. Um, it's hotter today than it's been, but uh, yeah, I've been good. It's um, it's been very busy, especially with the release of new music and working on a ton of other things in tandem with that so it's been good yeah let's um i i guess maybe we should go back to the beginning and kind of work our way through um and, and maybe we'll end on sheltering sky which is your latest stuff so let's talk a little bit about where you came from you're in la now but you didn't grow up in la right no i i grew up in new york city um just about like 25 minutes outside of manhattan i went to school in the city um but I grew up in the Westchester County area of New York. Very good. Um, lived well, there for probably until my mid twenties. And then I moved to Jersey actually for a little while when I was changing jobs. So I've kind of hopped around a little bit before I moved to the West coast. Is that where your musical roots took hold? New York is definitely my musical roots. Um, New York will always be my roots regardless of why I left <laughs> now that I'm here in LA. <laughs> yeah. What were your, uh, what were some of your early influences? 
Um, my earliest influences were Pink Floyd, uh, The Beatles, uh, Jethro Tull. Um, I was listening to a lot of progressive and hard <clears throat> rock and uh, even Metallica was big for when I was younger. But I also loved all the pop shit that every, that, you know, every young girl wants to listen to, like Spice Girls sure. and Britney Spears. Like I loved the whole pop persona, but I always connected more to the deeper, more intellectual, like uh, symphonic sort of music where there's like an actual journey musically and it doesn't necessarily have to conform to like the commercial top 40 sort of format. Yeah. That's okay. So <clears throat> talking about your influences, I'm going to spring this on you here. I'm going to put you on the spot real quick. So uh -oh. normally uh, in our show, we do some kind of challenge, uh, but we have a week to think of what our answers will be. So I won't make this one too hard. But uh, uh, Gun to Your Head, Desert Island, what are three bands you absolutely cannot live without? Bands or groups, singers, whatever. Um, Stone Temple Pilots, Alice nice. in Chains, and uh, I'll say Pink Floyd. Nice. Very cool. Wow. Yeah. That's Definitely so not, not what I was expecting, I think. <laughs> No one ever expects me to say anything that I'm saying because I work on so many different types of genres that I think mm -hmm. people have a preconception of like what I'm into and what I like. And sure. I like the darker stuff. I like the dark, heavy yep. stuff. Yeah. Monday and I were talking before the show and we were just saying if you we listened to, you know, uh, Metamorphosis and Apogee, it was like. And now she's hooked up with Michael Cerebolo and Chuck Wright. That just, you know, it doesn't quite seem to fit. But now. Yeah, you know, hearing your answers, it totally fits. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. What was your uh, music life like in New York in, in terms of uh, performing, and and uh, were you involved with like a band, or were, did you do uh, solo work, things like that? What's your history like there? Um, well, I actually, when I was younger, I wrote a lot of songs. Um, I did a little little performances here and there, and, and my when I was in grammar school, my teachers started to discover that I had a voice and that. They wanted to start casting me for roles in just local plays and talent shows and stuff like that. So it kind of started there. And then, but I had been writing songs since I was probably like eight or nine years old um, with, with the intention of, I don't know what, but I just needed to write them. And it felt like a natural thing. Um, and then I actually went to school to study to be an architectural designer when I went to college. So I was doing that for a really long time. And mm -hmm. It was kind of that that led me back to being a, a musician again, because I just at that time I had so many passions and so many ways I needed to get my artistic energy out that mm -hmm. it gave me the tools to be able to express myself as like an artist with some sort of theory behind it and not just um, not just willy nilly like all over the place. It just kind of grounded me and gave me the tools to to know how to do marketing, to know how to brand, to know how to write, to know how to compose and construct something. Um, I often compare my designing a lot to my music because it's the same sort of approach. Like when you're constructing anything, there's, you know, there's proportion and balance and scale and music is all those things. And I mm. sort of think about music three dimensionally. Um, I had a band in 2015, 2016. I did some shows around New York to promote Metamorphosis at the time because that's when it came out. Um, but then um, my producer and I were in talks about potentially moving out to LA at some point to start our own production company and push, you know, keep, he was working on film scores at the time and we were collaborating and we just kind of had similar goals. 
So we ended up moving out here in like 2017 into the West Coast and then made our way down to LA um, probably 2018 in the spring. But yeah, I was performing not just Metamorphosis songs in New York, but I was doing like songs that had never been released. I was just like testing stuff out and trying to figure out my sound. And mm -hmm. at that time I was starting to realize that like, it wasn't just gonna be like a clean cut sort of pop girl. Like I, I've, I've always had rock roots. And like when we would do our live shows, it was such like a rock, like a classic rock approach. And if people really liked that, cause like pairing my pop voice with like a kind of a, a rock and roll show was like, it was dynamic enough to be different. And I started doing that out here in LA also. Very cool. There's nothing there's a <laughs> there's a lot there that man, that that took me in a lot of different ways. Uh, first of all, I will say you touched on the uh thinking of music in uh as uh 3D <clears throat> excuse me, and I will say that definitely comes through in your uh videos. You have tons and tons of video content out there. Uh, I went as deep into the rabbit hole as I could. I probably, I'm sure I didn't see it all, <laughs> but um, how, how, uh, how much do you contribute to what we see in your videos? Um, it depends. Um, uh, the guy that I work with, Tim, who produces, uh, who produced Metamorphosis and Apogee, he's like a brilliant cinematographer. He usually comes in with a vision, but he's very flexible and we're like, filming together i'll throw in ideas he'll do things but i usually trust him very much as like kind of a visual director um i do a lot of more of the artistic direction there's like wardrobe and sort of kind of the the performance side of it he kind of takes care of the scouting of the locations and figuring out the logistics of everything and um, we both have say in the edit but he mostly does the editing because he's just like an insane editor um but yeah it's uh you know, a lot of the times him and I are very simpatico when it comes to visuals because we both we've been writing and creating together for so long that our taste levels are pretty much on the same wavelength. We love all the same movies. We love all the same like our, our appreciation for like cinephilia is like, you know, we both kind of have the same standards. And so when we're doing these um, these videos, I sort of put a lot of trust in his hands that he's going to deliver something that fits what I want and I've learned through traveling through this industry that you have to trust people and like let them do what they do well um, yep. so that you can focus on all that you can't be. I mean, you can be a master of everything or you can be a master of nothing. But I I try to stick to doing what I know are my skills and my strong suits. And um, I've filmed some videos with him recently. We did uh, the, the song with the, the new single for Chuck Wright's Sheltering Sky. Um, we we did that one together and we did one for um, this band called Temperamental. Um, they're a really cool band that's like an upcoming female rock band. So like we both collaborate on video ideas all the time, even for my own. Wow. Okay. So one of the, now I'm unpacking that one as well. Uh, you were talking <laughs> about how you construct all of this stuff. So one of the things that we really like to do on the show is we dig into complete albums as if it's just a complete piece of art and try to break that down. When you're writing a record like Metamorphosis or Apogee, do you have something like that in mind? Or is it just a bunch of songs that you've created that you like and you put on? Or do you actually come in with some sort of a concept that drives the record? Um, Metamorphosis was, I would say that most of my albums are like living organisms of my life. They're like things that are direct reflections of what I'm going through at the time. So. 
I've always tried to approach songwriting as not like a forced thing. Like I like writing in the sense that it come, it's like a pure stream of consciousness that's coming from me directly related to a situation that I'm in, because I feel like that's the way to get the most impact when you're trying to not only solve a problem on your own, but like a way for people to feel that it's authentic. Cause I think a lot of music now is being made for consumption. And I, and I don't like that. I like the idea of music being made because it's art and I need to create art because I'm an artist and this is my way of communicating to you. Um, so metamorphosis was, it was, that was kind of like a pain response to a really traumatic time I was going through. My, uh, at the time my, I was living with my grandfather and he was very ill. He was like dying from uh, like a heart condition and he was starting to get dementia. And I was like one of the only point people to kind of like help him navigate this and get through all this stuff. and make sure he was going to his doctor's appointments. And, and then I was working full time and writing music with Tim. So like, I was just like losing my mind. It was like mm -hmm. the most stressful time. And to, uh, I was, you know, dating this guy at the time and he was, I was getting out of a 15 year relationship and jumping into another relationship with somebody too soon, which probably shouldn't have happened because I think it just created like this thing of like, I was never really appreciated. And this person is like showing me affection that I've never, I haven't felt in a while. So I felt confused about my worth. And like, you know, it's like you, you go through all these, uh, these things like a fool for you being one of the tracks on there, um, feeling like you're, um, that you're literally just like dying, that you're like, you're bleeding out and, and how long if you, are you going to be a fool for somebody? And um, so a lot of the songs were like literally direct, veins to the moment I was in and it was also like a way of awakening like I was starting to realize that I don't want to work as a designer anymore I wanted to be a I wanted to be a singer songwriter I wanted to move forward and kind of push through this next chapter of my life and um, metamorphosis allowed me to do that it was sort of a conversation with the, the self that I had never gotten a chance to talk to about you know my dreams about my trauma about everything that I had gone through in my childhood. It was my first introduction to the world. <clears throat> um, Apogee was, uh, I don't know if you want to jump into that one yet, or if you have questions still about um, metamorphosis, but Apogee was literally like, I feel like, you know, I was like confident. I was living in a new city. I was able to I felt like for once I had control over my life and I wasn't living to serve someone else, uh, I was free. And that, you know, that freedom of feeling like you are the epitome of the best version of yourself right now is what Apogee is all about. And, and it doesn't mean that you've reached the top, it just means that you're okay and you feel great in the place that you're in because growth is constant. And I, I don't think we ever reach an Apogee per se. Um, I think the Apogee is continual, so that's, that answers that. <laughs> I'm awesome. actually, I'm actually glad you said that. And uh, we have a, a question from a listener. We'll get to that in just a second. But um, I, while we're on this topic, um, I noticed going from listening to Metamorphosis to listening to Apogee, there is, I, I feel, and I don't, you can speak to this more because it came from you, but <laughs> I definitely feel like there is a, <clears throat> I don't style change is a bit harsh. I think it's more, but I feel like uh, metamorphosis has a little bit of a more mainstream sound. And then when you switch to Apogee, it's a, it feels like it's a lot more um, what, what you were saying, like art for 
art's sake and you know you creating what you absolutely just want to create because you have to get it out and i i feel like there's a little bit of a difference between the two albums for sure yeah um it's funny because i feel the opposite i feel like i feel like metamorphosis was more of my alternative sort of sound and 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 maybe because it had like this 90s alternative influence of like when i grew up and mm -hmm. yes it is very commercial i will say that like songs like gravity and uh, yeah that's like, that's what yeah commercial is a good word for it that's what i mean i said mainstream commercial is absolutely a good word for it yeah um, but you know apogee i would say is more niche it's commercial but it's niche and like i feel there's a lot of bands that i that i really like that have this they have these really commercial mainstream songs but they don't sound like everything else that's in the mainstream they're kind of their own little mm -hmm. nugget of, of of different and i think that's what I'm always trying to do is, you know, it's easy to, to listen to what's out right now or to listen to your influences and try to directly pull from that. But it's another thing to, to redefine what is my sound, what is my, you know, most people might say it sounds different because it's, they've never heard something like that before. Or it may, you know, it might be a new sound to your ears or all the sounds together combined with my songwriting style. I don't know. You never really know. I mean, like I've, you know, the guy I've worked with in the past, he, released some stuff and you know the market didn't know how to do anything with it and then a few years later all of a sudden it was a hit all in every country so you you kind of just have to follow your gut and make what you think sounds great and what feels good and regardless mm. of the pressures of the industry because otherwise we wouldn't have some of like the most amazing songs like bohemian rhapsody no one believed yeah. in that song everyone thought it was trash and then it's like the biggest anthem of all time so everything you're saying i mean like i'm nodding my head especially when you said a lot of music is just consumable these days you know yeah. i hate to say it but a lot of art is disposable it yes. speaks for a moment it's fleeting and then it's gone it's like yeah. all right choo 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 spit it out that kind of thing and i it that bothers me. I definitely like music with depth and things like that. And that made me want to bring up uh, the song Underwater. Um, mm. I really love that because it's lush and full. It reminds me a lot of like the 90s down tempo type nice. stuff from like Morchiba and Sneaker Pimp yeah, and that kind of thing. I love Morchiba. Yeah. And, you know, it just that every time I heard that song, I did get a little bit of goosebumps when the bass line went low and all that kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, I mean, that that was an era of music that I just couldn't get enough of. And I've been revisiting it a lot lately. So that, that was kind of like that spoonful of something you had as a kid. And you're like, man, this is, yep. this is welcomed. I, I need more of that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That's, I definitely like Enigma and underwater are like two songs on that record that I feel like speak to my fascination of, of trip hop. Mm -hmm. But like, I, you know, underwater is, it's a fun song because it's like, it's something you can like groove to, but it's so relaxing and, yeah. The lyrics are very ethereal and watery, you know, uh, yeah. to be exact. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but the song, the content of what it's about is is much darker. It's it's basically just saying like at the end of the day, like you can blame and point your finger at every which direction, but the, the only one that's going to pull yourself out from under is you. And yep. you have you have to kind of take. It's about accountability, is what it's about. That's great. So, and you know, to that, it's ingestible, but it has depth. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's not something that just kind of passes. By, it's uh, not surface no i've gone back to it a couple of times so it's not surface it's underwater yeah, boom. 
<laughs> I wasn't going to Oh, I need the drone so I can spot over there. Handsome and comedian here. Cool. How about our listener question that we've glazed over for five minutes? Sorry, listener Sistine. All right. Who would your dream collaboration be with? Ooh, um, I think David Bowie, I, if he were still here. I don't um, know if we're allowed to pick alive or dead, but um, no, take as much good. as you want. It's yeah, a dream. Yeah. It's a dream. So definitely Bowie. I I don't know what it is. Like he actually, I didn't really get into Bowie until I was a little older. I think when I was younger, I didn't. I didn't connect to him because I couldn't speak to that experience yet. When you're, I think that's why it's amazing. Like certain musicians, as you grow, you you start to understand and relate to them because the music they were making was targeted towards a certain age group of people. But um, mm. when I started to get into my early twenties, I really was starting to dig Bowie, and I just love how soulful and rhythmic he is, and how. He just has like this on inhibition uh, about like letting just letting go and feeling his his sexuality. There's just something so beautiful mm -hmm. about an artist that does that. That just like Prince just completely lets go and just mm -hmm. lets the music come through and allows themselves to just be weird and strange and and uh, kind of dig deeper into themselves. So that that David Bowie would definitely be someone for me. That would Sweet. be a dream collaboration. What's awesome. your uh, favorite Bowie album? Oof. Uh, um, is it, hold on, is the name of the album, uh, Little, the one, the one with, um, oh my God. We're going to say Little Wonder? Little Wonder, yeah. That's, uh, what album is that on? I, I can't remember. That's like a 90s album, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's a 90s album. That's, yeah. I think, I love Moonage Daydream. Like, I love, like, I, it's hard to pick one album because I like different songs from, like, different parts of his, his career, but the 90s one is such a cool record it's so off the wall and, and i feel like if it was released now with modern production it would totally it would stick you know yeah. but he was album. ahead of time yeah earthling i found it so earthling i, I yeah. love that record yeah it's yeah. a great one and my favorite of all time is low that's like one of the 70s albums it was oh yes West Berlin yeah. during the whole you know i remember era yeah. and stuff and um yeah. but no matter what let me his eras, you know, things evolved and as an artist wants to do and they have every right to do. And it's always been very fascinating to see how his journey just completely melded, molded and all that good stuff. And it was always Bowie, but it always had a shift at the yep. same time. So, yeah. And it's and I always thought it was weird how he was so massively famous, but there was still so many people that had no idea who he was or they didn't understand that kind of music or. Mm -hmm. I, it, it just fascinates me how you can be basically an underground star at that time. But at that time, it wasn't really underground. He was really doing the mainstream. But like even nowadays, like if I I brought up Bowie to a couple of people and they didn't even know of his music. And I was like, what are what planet are we all living on now that we don't know? But there's so much content out there currently that it's hard for anyone mm -hmm. to latch on to stuff from the 70s. Apparently. And 80s. Yeah, apparently we're not on Earth or Mars if they don't know Bowie. <laughs> right. I don't know. Well said. He's he's one of those artists though that if you do know him, I don't know of anybody who doesn't like him. Like right? he's just one of those artists that everybody's like, oh yeah, yeah, big mm -hmm. Bowie. Yeah, he's an icon. I mean, how do you how, you can't look at him and not feel some sense of appreciation whether you like the music or not? You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. All right, well, let's do a little time jump. And let's go to Beauty and Chaos. Um, you know, Michael's been on the show three times. Oh. Um, good friend of the show. Awesome dude. 
-hmm. How in the world did you hook up with Michael for Beauty and Chaos? We um, we met through a friend of mine. Her name's Kat Leone. I'm sure mm -hmm. you've heard oh. us speaking about her before. Yeah. Um, yes. She's another female Kat. artist. Yep. Yeah, Kat's awesome. Um, we became friends actually during the pandemic, which is weird because we've been in this city together for a few years, but I went to see one of her shows um, at the Bardot um, and, it, and we said hi to each other finally because we'd been following each other on the internet and we started hanging out and um, she introduced me to Michael finally and she said that they had, they had collaborated on something in his project and um, Michael and I got to talking and, and he mentioned that he was going to do another record and um, this was probably like a few months after we had met and um, Kat mentioned to him that I was also a songwriter, singer-songwriter and it just kind of sprung off from there. Him and I got along really well. We're, we both have a lot of similar musical influences and, you know, uh, bands that we enjoyed listening to. And he sent me this request to, he, to do something that sounded like Bjork and Bauhaus. And I remember the exact message in my email and I was like, that's such a, a span or such a, a weird sort of reference. But then I heard the track that he sent me for Orion and I was like, okay, I, I understand now. So yeah. yeah, instantly. I mean, I just, I love everything BIC has done. I think they're just real, like as a, as a unit, him and my and Razone are just like a power team. Um, they know how to really make something so lush and, and, and they can grow and they've grown so much as a band. So um, I was really excited about being part of that and, mm -hmm. and seeing how I could fit into the landscape of, of what beauty and chaos is. And yeah. um, a few days later, I sent, sent back that song um, and he loved what I did. And I was shocked because I was so freaking nervous. I was like, oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> I don't know. If, you know, it's, it's always the, the fear, you know, whenever you write something, you're like, oh God, how's this going to sit? You know, is this the right direction? Do you know, I don't know this person well enough to like, you know, get a gauge, but I, I just followed my gut. I followed the music. I tried to do the the song justice, and he loved it. So I'm, I'm. That made me rest easy that night. Yeah. So, M Michael, um, you know, I'm not patting myself on the back, but he threw me a bone and said, "Hey, would you like to do a remix? Uh, you know, for the uh, Storm Before the Calm." And oh, really? So I, I did a remix there, and I did a remix on this new release too. I, I did Afterlife that Tish sang on. Oh, and nice. Yeah. So you know, basically before things were coming out he was sneaking me some tracks to listen to that, Very nice. so i heard yours and i heard you know everybody else too and I, and when i first heard orion i was like okay that's really cool and you know honestly i felt really intimidated by that one i was like i, I don't know that i could do a remix justice on <laughs> that's that. not an easy song to remix you'd have to like do what asteron did with my friend tom because like he basically like took it apart and reassembled yeah. it again because it's someone you know it's funny there was a comment on one of them saying that this is this is like a really like deep progressive rock song. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I guess you could look at it like that because it literally goes on a journey. Like it takes you, it's not a short song by any means. And right. the, mm -hmm. the way it's segmented and the way all the choruses reprise and you know, yeah. that big uh, crescendoing part in, in the center in the center of the song. And yeah, it's, a it's journey. just not a normal song to yeah. remix. No, but you know, then, <laughs> then the video um, got fixed up and then he sent me a preview link before he released it. And, I watched it and I was like, holy cow, these visuals are just absolutely stunning. I, I loved what they did with you in, in the 
you know, and the shots and whatnot and the effects and, and the whole band. I mean, the whole entire aesthetic is great. But um, that's the cool thing about Michael, too, is the fact that he gives everybody free reign. He lets them express themselves. Yeah. And, you know, you, you really get a good chance to have your own visual and interpretation of what exists, you know. And, and yeah. uh, it's, it's a beautiful process with him. And I was very honored that he, you know, allowed me to, to do two remixes. And that was a lot of fun. And I really appreciate you know knowing him and and seeing what's going on it's nice to communicate with him on on how things are progressing and stuff it always gets me fired back up and start tinkering with my toys so michael is wonderful to work with he's such a gentle person and the way he appreciates artists and gives them a mm -hmm. space to to sort of join heads because that's what collaboration is i mean if you want a monster to work with go find that somewhere but you're not going to find that with him because he's literally like this gentle and sophisticated uh rock and roll guy and it's you know there's so much depth to the way he writes music and it also transcends into the way he he communicates and works with people that he brings on to the family so yeah i feel fortunate yeah. that he invited me to be part of that absolutely agreed i really appreciate beauty and chaos i mean once that came onto our radar it's just i, I love the way he puts together his albums there aren't terribly too terribly many artists out there who are willing to do you know they just want to do the music and then they have yeah. all these different singers and he he has really introduced me personally to so many artists and i mean you touched on cat leon and oh my gosh uh holy wars is just amazing and yeah it's it's so good and i we had we talked to cat and uh I can't remember her partner's yeah. name. Nick. Nick. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We talked to them and they were awesome. And uh, it's just, we've, we've gotten, we've been exposed to a lot of different artists and we've actually, you know, made other friends through Michael. So that it's been wonderful knowing him. And yeah. I, Ashton I, don't, Knight. I, I don't know why he likes us so much, but hey, <laughs> he's welcome, he's welcome anytime. <laughs> He is the most regular superstar we know. <laughs> He's awesome. I love that because when we talk to him and you hear his voice and his accent and all that, and then you look at his videos, I'm like, oh, he's just like an old goth dude. <laughs> <laughs> he's adorable. Yeah, he's awesome. He's super hey, awesome. Hey, Whitney, did you have any part in the videos? I mean... Yes. Yeah. Orion, um, I wanted to make sure... Um, that people got the understanding of what that song is about. The song is about manipulation, and that's why we have the chess pieces as the main theme of the song. Uh, Interesting. When I when I wrote the track, and I was developing the lyrics, I I had this idea in my head, um, and well, you know, the music itself feels very star-like. It feels very um, like galaxy-esque, and so I was like, I imagine the constellation Orion. That was like the first thing that came to my head, and. The irony of the constellation Orion is that Orion was a manipulator. He was uh, he was manipulating people uh, as part of the, the 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 myth of the story of, of his life, and um, he came off as very strong and very uh, powerful. But underneath that guise was was somebody that you that you couldn't trust. And so Orion was representative of every person in my life who had manipulated me, who had or who anyone who has been manipulated by someone and 
what I've learned as a trauma or abuse survivor is that the only way out of that situation is to not give in to your manipulator. It's, it's to find a way to kind of neutrally get through or walk through that situation so that you're not mirroring that person and you're not taking on those abusive tendencies, but it's also a way of protecting yourself. And so, um, you know, Orion is, is all about that. And the chess pieces kind of came on as an accident. We went out scouting for uh, props for the video and we saw the chess pieces and we were like, wow, like these, these are gorgeous. Like how can we use these in a certain way? So uh, the director and I kind of talked about having the, uh, the chess pieces look massive, kind of floating in this zero negative space, you know, um, and, and they were really, un in real life, they were only like this big, but they look so big in the video just with the, the technique of how he filmed it. And um, yeah, from there, it was just like in, in the smoke, in the haze, you know, and it's all tying into what it might feel like in your mind or in your body to be, to not be in your body, to be in, to be under the control of somebody else. And so how do you get out of the game? How do you, how do you outsmart the, the manipulator, the puppet holder, the, the chess mover? And we're all pawns in that chess board. So um, it just kind of kept developing as we went. I, I like for our videos to organically manifest. You know, you write a little bit of a rough treatment and then you sort of you, you, you run, you, you go head on and you sort of figure it out. And cause sometimes ideas will come on set and you're like, this is great. And let's work that in there. So we're very, um, we're very much artistic, even in our process of making, uh, videos like Orion. Cool. All right. <clears throat> so that brings us up to, we'll do your, your, uh, two songs with Vato last. Let's do the Chuck Wright sheltering sky now, because you had three songs on there. Yep. How did that collaboration happen? <laughs> There it is. Um, there it is. Um, so Chuck and I, I, you know, he, I think it was like a few years ago before the, the lockdown, he invited me to, um, to perform at the ultimate jam night. And, you know, I had never done that there before. I knew, I knew what it was cause I had gone to a few of them. Um, and it's, it's a really big, uh, event that happens here in LA every Tuesday, or now I think it's every other Tuesday or every two Tuesdays, they bring in, it's kind of like a, just a jam and people show up, they know what song they're going to play. They don't rehearse ahead of time with anybody in the band. You all get up on stage and you do like big songs and they theme wow. each rock show. And it's the, some of the best rock performers in LA. Um, and they come cycle through there in between their gigs and their touring and stuff. And he invited me to come sing, um, I can't remember what the first one was, but he had me sing an Elton John song. And then he also had me sing a song by Sarah McLaughlin, but I can't, it's so far back now. I can't remember which was the first one I did, but um, it was after that, that, you know, I started going to the shows more regular just to, to meet everybody there. And then we locked down. It was like a year later, we locked down and I got a message from him um, saying, Hey, Whitney, like I finally have time to make it a record. I don't even know what I'm going to do with some of these songs at that time. I don't even know if he knew he was going to go like full on and make a record. He was just like working with tons of his cats that he'd been playing with for, you know, 30 plus years, you know? So he sent me uh, giving up the ghost. Um, he said that he wanted to have me sing on that song, but he also had another one in the back pocket. He wanted me to write with him on and that was time waits for no one. Um, and then Army of Me, and you know, so it all started developing from there. And 
and then he started bringing in all these amazing musicians to make the record and it started shaping up to be this incredible group of songs that like you know given my background and my history of what i like to listen to i just thought this record was such a cool uh way to honor just like classic songwriting classic uh, you know, 70s, 80s rock, classic rock mixed with metal and prog. And it's got like funk. It's got like all these cool <clears throat> different things, like all the best of that he could put together. And that's, I was like all in. I was like, yeah, I definitely want to work on this record with you. It's the songs are beautiful and, you know, they're, it's different I, than what I was working on at the time. I definitely love the diversity on the album. I mean, it it really is all over the place, but that not in a bad way. I mean, it it, mm-hmm. it it everything works. Everything sounds really well. The pieces fit together. Production's fantastic. Even just the three songs that you are on, the Army of Me has kind of a you know a little bit of a harder groove. Giving up the ghost, you got like a, a pretty acoustic song. Time waits for no one is real kind of there's a little bit of airy airiness in the verses and then just huge, huge choruses. And uh it's it really it, it's really nice to hear that and hear your delivery in that and you be able to, you know, hit the pocket in each of those songs. Very, very cool to hear. Very cool. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was, uh, they were fun to work on too. It was challenging because the the register in which I was performing some of these songs is a different register than I normally sing in, and it was like okay. getting to explore my instrument in different ways. And that's something that I've been really enjoying lately as I'm writing my new record. It's like, you know, it's one thing to be technical as a singer, but then it's another thing to start to discover. the the subtler, the more subtle nuances of your voice in ways that you can use it like a paintbrush versus it being just a singer. And I think that that's something I'm more interested in now is, is, is the song and, and the paintbrush and not so much, um, you know, trying to be Celine Dion on, on a constant basis, because I know I can that's do awesome. that. I don't need to do that. <laughs> so, well, you yeah. can definitely go big. That's for sure. Yeah. There was <laughs> some of the stuff on your, uh, your solo albums. I was like, Ooh, she's belting it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Did yeah. you feel, um, oh, sorry, go ahead, JPP. No, I was just going to gush over Army of Me. Never yeah, mind. I was going to ask about that. <laughs> Bjork is one of my favorite artists of yeah. all time. And um, I have a, I'm not going to hoist my leg up into the camera, but I've got a Bjork tattoo on me. That's how much I've never enjoyed her through the years. So, you know, to hear that rendition of it, it was like, this is kind of grindy. You know, it still retains a lot of the element of the Bjork tune, but it was a really cool, you know, 21st century interpretation. Thank you. Uh, I was really scared to do that one, by the way, because I'm very picky with cover songs. Like, mm-hmm. I rarely do them. And when I do do them, it has to be something that I connect to. And it was just, like, kind of weird that he asked me to do a song that I really loved so much from Bjork. And I was like, oh, that's strange. Like, with just the alignment of, of asking that. And then I thought about it. I was like, well, I'm not Bjork. I don't sound like Bjork. Uh, we definitely have similar approaches to the way we do things, but we don't have the same voice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, all right, well, this is going to have to be me. And it was funny because, um, when we finished recording everything, I listened back to it and I was like, oh, damn, like I really hearing my influence of Jonathan Davis on this song, because he's like, (laughs) I grew up like literally (laughs) studying the subtleties of how crazy his voice is. And I used to love imitating him. Mm -hmm. And I, I think a lot of the softer registers of my voice, I, 
I think that's where I've over the years been able to build up this sort of timbre of like very airiness and grungy and it's nasally, but it's not like annoying nasal. It's more just like a, mm -hmm. a floaty sort of nasal soft sound. So yeah, it was just, I think it's cool. It's kind of got this corn-esque army of me vibe going on. Nothing wrong with that. That's total, totally cool. Guys, I, I think I just heard that she's going to do acapella corn on the show right now. <laughs> nice. Let's go. Oh my God. <laughs> That's hilarious. I definitely feel like you made the right choice going with your own interpretation of the song i feel like if anyone tried to sing a bjork song like bjork i, I don't yeah. think anyone wins there Fail. i would be scared yeah yeah i certainly wouldn't try to replicate there's that's the whole point of doing a cover is to make it your own you know? absolutely i am a huge fan of cover songs i have a playlist on spotify i it's probably got almost like 800 cover songs on it mm. i i'm a sucker for a good cover song so Same. i I enjoyed it. You know, it's funny. Um, I don't know if many people remember this, but when Limp Biscuit did a cover of Behind Blue Eyes. On oh, Blue yeah. I actually really loved that cover. I thought that was I like. I do too. I do too. <laughs> I thought that was like a really brilliant. I would have never pegged him to be like the one to pick that song, but I was like, yeah. it's part and it fit the whole record. So I think it really works. I actually, that is probably one of my favorite Fred Durst. <laughs> that cover is fantastic it really is, it is. guys can i bring up uh, something from the past what are our thoughts now that we've had a lot of time to uh ingest uh danzig singing elvis tunes oh um, well <laughs> sometimes we love danzig but mm -hmm. that was a bit rough that record us. yeah for whitney i don't know you probably don't know but we actually reviewed that record when it came out on the show and Boy, is it hit or miss. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. It's, and we some of it was awesome. Some of it was really yeah. rough. <laughs> and we don't typically like to slam things on the show. There's enough negativity in the world. We like to uplift things that we love. Mm -hmm. And we were hoping that we were going to love <laughs> that record because we really like dancing. But, whew. Yeah, yeah, it happens. It happens. It Sometimes does. Sometimes you miss, you know. Yep. It's like when a family make, a member makes a, a famous recipe in your family and they just miss the mark. You're like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, before we move on, I got to ask you because you said that you had uh, covered a Sarah McLaughlin song. And so, one of, I love uh, Fumbling Towards Ecstasy. That was a fantastic That's record. Great. It was before she got pegged with the song with the dogs and it's sad and everything, you know. <laughs> Uh, but that record is so good. What song did you perform by her? Uh, I, I performed Angel. Um, mm. But it is, it's actually another... There's all these weird coincidences with Chuck and I. It's like he, <clears throat> he and I both love Sarah McLaughlin very much. And mm -hmm. when I was younger, I remember before I had access to any sort of computer, like music making equipment, I used to record these demos of me on my computer uh covering various songs angel being one of them and i kept it for so long that i used to anytime i wanted to perform somewhere before i had a portfolio i would send these groups of songs out to uh, whoever i was working with at the time say hey this is what i sound like would love to perform at your venue blah 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 and angel was always one of them in there and because i felt like it was one of those songs that showed off you know the, the timbre of my voice and it also showed range as well so um Sorry, I'm like, I have all these things coming on my screen right now. I'm trying to get them. <laughs> um, 
so but my personal favorite song of sarah's is fear i don't know if you know mm -hmm. that song mm -hmm. but i yeah. there's something so i don't know how to describe it visceral and ethereal mm -hmm. and just interdimensional about that song and it it, it always freaks me out every time I listen to it. I want to cover that one eventually, because I think that one just means something to me the most of all the songs. And Sur Sweet Surrender is like another one of my mm -hmm. favorite hers. But yeah, there's so should. many, Frig, there's so many songs by her. I could go on all day about Sarah McLaughlin. She's definitely one of my biggest, I think, music, like songwriter influences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. That was Ice off that record. Love that one. That was just Hold On. Yeah, mm -hmm. that record is killer so yeah. you should uh, definitely produce those and we'll listen <laughs> it's a deal that's all we have to do. you just have to do it and we'll listen to you okay. oh man <laughs> sounds like an easy deal yeah right. for us <laughs> i'm just excited i got to talk about fred durst for a second right <laughs> yeah i bet you didn't think i was gonna name drop him today <laughs> i know that was no. the, yeah it was definitely not anything i expected <laughs> fantastic um anything else? oh you know what we were talking about is so um, we all love your three songs, but each of us right now are going to pick our favorite non-Whitney Sheltering Sky song. Okay, cool. All right, Monday, go first. I didn't write the title down. I don't remember what the title is, but it's the very first song. Oh, Cause, that cause is... I, going into it, I didn't really have any expectations. It... Yeah. Did you say, is it The Weight of Silence? Is that yeah. the one? I'm sorry. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Sorry, you guys are. I I was freezing up for you. I'm sure. But, um, <laughs> so yeah, so that very that very first song because I had zero expectations and I put it on and I was like, "Ooh, this is really good." And halfway through it, I'm like, "Well, I think this is an instrumental," and I immediately added it to my instrumental playlist. So, um, but uh, yeah, so that first song really impressed me, and then the whole album, the rest of it was just a treat. So. Nice, yeah. JPP. Uh, you're going to put me on the spot. Uh, <laughs> admittedly, I told these guys, I've had a crazy busy week, so I haven't had a chance to listen to much, but I had it on in the background while I was doing some chores, and throwing stones really hit me good, especially the bass line, really good and busy and all that. And I was like, man, this would be a fun one to play live. It's the first thing I thought when I was hearing it. So uh, that was a, an awesome standout non-Whitney track. All right. For me, it's another instrumental. And uh, so earlier in the record, I heard, you know, they had the Irish fiddle in one of the songs. I'm like, that's really cool. And then I'm listening to Farewell Horizon, and all of a sudden the classical violin comes in. And it was like, the, the song was super cool. And then when those strings hit, oh my God, that was like, just took it to a new level. So yeah. I love a lot of the songs on there, but uh, Farewell Horizon really hit me in the sweet spot. So I Whitney? love that one too. I love oh. that one too. I think my favorite, if I had to pick, would be Darkness, Darkness. Yeah. Um, there's something about his voice and just, um, melodically for me, um, it, it feels like this yearning. It has like this great West, like out West sort of feeling. And like, I just, it's very freeing. It's a very freeing song. And I think that a lot of the, a lot of the songs are, they have like this, a, a lot of upbeat energy, but I, I tend to lean more into like the sort of to the the more soft sort of flowy songs and i think darkness darkness has that like vibe for me mm -hmm. uh second to that would be probably the others um the other side i love that song ah um, oh, yeah that's so, good yeah so i guess before we get off here monday and i were talking beforehand um 
So on your song for uh, Army of Me was Pat Torpy. Mm -hmm. He passed in 2018. Can you like walk us through how that happened? Because he was featured on that song. Yeah, I mean, he, he and uh, Chuck played on that track together a few years prior. So they had already started making this demo. And then when he passed away, Chuck didn't really know what to do. And, and then he, he re, uh, rediscovered the demo again and said, I need to honor him in this way. And so then he started getting all the people together and, and to make the track. So it kind of, it didn't really all happen at once. It was sort of this piecemeal of different things coming together. And um, so a lot of it was on there already that, you know, we had some additional string work added in there, like synthesizer stuff that was put in and later and then vocals and extra production elements, but, you know, Pat and him had created this base for the track. You know, I, I'm not sure exactly what year, but. Um, yeah, I saw, when I saw the track listing and I saw it said Pat Torpy on there, I was like, man, really? Like, I, I'm like, I swear he passed away several years ago. Mm -hmm. And so I, I was really curious about how long chuck had been holding on to that and um i mean it makes sense for them to be friends i'm sure they travel a lot of the same circles and i am a I, i'm a big fan of mr big so i i immediately knew the name pat torpy and uh it, that's very cool that he was able to do something with that recording and it also gave the song it gave army a lot more meaning than just a cover because it was a tribute to somebody who he had really loved and cared about and it just made me approach the song differently as a singer. And, you know, I had, you know, here I have to respect and honor the fact that this song was written with someone who was very important in his life. And, and, and also the, the song was very important to the moment about what was going on, you know, with women's rights. And um, I think just everything coming together as one was, it was that synergy of people that he brought together, people who actually cared about the music and, it meant more, uh, especially during lockdown when everything was awry and like we didn't know what the hell was going on. So it felt like the one light in the darkness at that time. So, Yeah, that was cool. I assume it probably got pushed back a little because of COVID. So this whole project probably got stunted a little bit because of that. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I think he started it because of COVID. I think COVID was gave him the opportunity to actually sit down because he was always he was always out on the road with Quiet Riot. You know, he was always running uh, Ultimate Jam Night. He had so many other gigs he was doing. And he expressed to me at the time that he'd been trying to just sit down and dedicate a chunk of time to writing a record of his own and uh, or at least writing songs that he can put out. And when he started to see how all the songs were coming together, it was just another reason to like say now or never i got to put out this record you know it's uh, and stuff he had laying around new stuff that he created so it was really cool i think we were all pleasantly surprised by the record um you know hearing chuck wright you go quiet right and then you get what you get in this yeah. record and it's like oh my gosh this thing is as yeah. Wendy said all over the place in a very good way so yeah, that's um, what I said. I, I had zero expectations going in, and I, I was very pleasantly surprised with the diversity and uh, everything. It's a very, very cool record. Yeah. So um, let's talk a little bit about your two recent singles um, with Harry Bato. So you said, I think earlier, this is going to be part of a bigger piece. It's going to be part of an album, or how's that working uh, no. out? Just, they were just two singles that we, because uh, Harry reached out to me um, 
and just I don't know how he found me, honestly. He just found me on the internet somehow. And he, he reached out and he said, hey, I, I wrote this track. You know, would you be interested in top lining on it? And I said, well, sure. Let me let me take a listen to it and see if it, if it fits what I'm, you know, what I like doing. And, you know, I heard the track for Dreamcatcher and I was like, oh, this is really cool because it's not like a typical. Um, I like that he approaches dance music still with that sort of 80s, 90s retro vibe, which is something yeah. I grew up listening to. And a lot of the, the modern EDM songs are a little bit, um, they're just a little bit sterile for me. They, they, they don't have a, any nostalgia wrapped into it, or it's at least it's not referencing anything that feels like something I relate to. <laughs> um, and, you know, I thought back to like Kylie Minogue and like artists like that, like mm -hmm. people who are making beautiful disco funk pop music. And, um, you know, I was like, sure, I'm going to write on this. I. We, we wrote Dreamcatcher and then we liked working together so much that he came back with another track and I started working on that one too. And I'm sure we might collaborate in the future considering that we like kind of our flow of working together. But um, mm -hmm. I was thinking of maybe putting out an acoustic version of, of Dreamcatcher in free time, which Ooh. I thought would be a cool little EP. Um, yeah. So that's something that I've been brewing on in my <clears throat> head and thinking about how I'd want to put that together. Yeah, that would be very interesting. I mean, mm -hmm. stripped down. I mean, these they're all electronic with your yeah. vocals. So to strip it down to something like that, I think would be very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Dreamcatcher has kind of the, a, a bit of the synthwave vibe. I'm a yes. huge synthwave fan for sure. And so <laughs> that caught my ear immediately. I was like, go on. <laughs> so is there a plan for an album for you in the near future? Uh, yes, um, I'm already working on it now. I've been working on it for the last year and a half. Um, and this one's been different because um, generally my albums have been me and Tim and we kind of do everything in the box. You know, we might have a, a string player come in here and there because it's 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 electro rock music, you know, but this next record is different because it's it's all the players on the record. It's kind of like I, I picked I picked with my uh, producer Tom that I'm working with, his name's Tom Hatz. Um, we both hand cherry picked each musician that we wanted to play on every song. Chuck will be on my record too. He's playing bass on a couple of songs. Cool. Um, awesome. And I have a, a couple of other really, really amazing musicians um, that are going to be on this record that are, that have contributed their talents to this record. And um, I also have somebody that I'm waiting on to come back from tour and lay down some pedal steel. So like these songs are going to be a little bit more shoegazy dream pop. It's got mm -hmm. a little bit more of a desert sort of West vibe uh, to my already sort of dream pop sound. But I would say it's a little bit more earthy and organic. It's not as digital. Um, it it sound, I wanted it to sound like a live record. Um, mm. So having it feel like a live record, not super polished, maybe a little bit, um, a little bit lo-fi, you know, like mm -hmm. I wanted it to have a little bit more of a lo-fi. I'm kind of going deeper into this, this place of, of crafting the sound to feel like something out of like an old radio, which is yeah. like kind of, okay. uh, mm -hmm. um, the song, the song content is different. The, the lyrics are very different. Um, then I, I wanted to challenge myself and put out an album that was, how do I jump off from Apogee? How do I jump off from Metamorphosis and not make the same songs? I want to make new songs that still are me, but 
show how much I've grown and and where reflection of who I am now as an artist. So can you talk about that thematically, or is that something you want to keep under wraps until we we actually get the record? I mean, we can talk a little a little bit about it. Um, thematically, <laughs> you mean uh, as far as the topic matter, or yeah, yeah, just give us a sense of what can we expect from the message of the songs. I would say that the message in these songs is going back to nature, um, kind of going back to the basics of who you are, of, of kind of stripping away and being okay with not being okay. I think that, that we all try to put on this, this visage that we are, we are composed and our composure is always all right. But if I've learned anything over the years of being a struggling artist and just living life is that it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to be more expressive and, and honest about the things that you think no one gives a shit about. And I think lyrically, I wanted to be more playful. Um, I, I always considered myself a poet before anything. And I think that I wanted to find a way to, to get my poetry to somehow fuse with my songwriting at some point so that I could bring in those sort of existential, weird, ethereal topics into a more sort of um, Joni Mitchell-like approach, you know? So um, I, I really love folk music. And so there's, you're gonna get more elements of folk on this record. Um, I would just call it, I was calling it dream gaze. That was like what I wanted to call it. Cause it's got the lo-fi elements, but it's, it's still pop construction, pop hooks and uh, commercial sort of chorus, like choruses and verses and stuff. But it's the way it's put together feels, it feels like kind of, um, I don't know how to describe it. It's kind of, again, like a paintbrush. I'm just kind of painting over these really expansive spaces that are, it's more about your relationship to sound and not necessarily just sound itself. So mm. you find yourself as the listener, like, where am I in this song? I can feel myself within uh, a cor the corner of this verse or floating over the top of this area. And so it, it's an exploration of space. That's awesome. Fantastic. Sounds you know, fun I, to me. You know, everything you're saying, I'm like, man, you know, it's like I get lost in a riff in here. You know what I mean? And you just yeah. really kind of hone in and be in the moment of it and drives my wife and kid crazy because it's like, that's been on loop for like five hours. Yes, I know, <laughs> but it's evolving in my brain. Let me let me let this flourish. Right. So, uh, no, you know, and to your point, talking about this new album, I had two questions. Do you ever find yourself, this is a struggle I have because I play guitar, I play keyboards and things like that. And sometimes it's like, it's a balance between, all right, I've done a lot with the synths and I'm starting to get a little synthed out and I need more organic elements. I need to kind of balance it a little more or take a little break and kind of feel back connected to the, the roots of existence, if you will. I mean, have, do you find yourself in those uh, timbre and textural conflicts at times when you're creating? Oh God, all the time, yeah. all the time. Because the majority of the songs I write now are on acoustic guitar. Mm -hmm. So when I start there, um, it's hard to lose that, you know, it's hard to like start there and then watch it drift further and further away from that. But which is funny because when you look at a lot of writing sessions that people go into, it starts out that basic. Mm -hmm. And then the song ends up, the, the amalgamation ends up being this very digital sounding thing. And I wanted to make sure that the songs I wrote for this record maintained 
a very, very like 95% level of, of live organic uh, connection to the finished product. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay. Cause I think there's different ways to write, you know, sometimes when you write on synth or when you write on piano, you have to kind of take it there, you know, but when you write mm-hmm. on guitar, it's like a whole other approach to making music and, um, my theory is if you can strip any song down to a guitar, then I think you've, you've, you've got something there that you can hold on to. But there's yeah. certain songs you can't strip down to a guitar because you lose that mm-hmm. sense of atmosphere, you know. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, I, if Tony or one of our other collaborators was here, he could tell me the album off the drop of his tongue right there. But it was a Nine Inch Nails live performance with just him and a piano. You know what I mean? So he yeah. stripped a lot of the songs down to more basic arrangements and you can hear that for sure. Uh, yeah. My my second question I had, talking about the folk element, have you ever heard of an electronic artist named Bibio? B-I-B-I-O? I haven't. I haven't. He's, uh, he's on Warp Records. Um, he's kind of, he calls himself more of a folktronic artist. Um, and he's done a lot of electronic stuff in the past, but he's gotten more organic and he does a lot with like mandolin and fiddle, nice. uh, acoustic guitar as well. But he also uses old analog gear and he recorded himself, you know, by the bed of a creek and you hear the birds and the nature with him and stuff. Absolutely fantastic. I suggest you listen to the song Curls. I don't want to influence any of your creative arrangements by any means, but as somebody um, who loves hearing some of that lo-fi texture and more natural element, I highly suggest him. He is absolutely fantastic. Nice. Yeah, I love that. I mean, there's a new artist I discovered recently. His name's Ginger Root. Mm -hmm. He plays like every instrument and he adds a lot of like lo-fi 80s analog sounds in there and it's just it blows my mind because it's got all the makings of of 80s pop like dance like soul Mm -hmm. funk but then it's got this lo-fi down tempo thing going on with it too so i love mashing up organic instruments and sounds with Mm -hmm. textures and things like that i think it's i think it's a way to keep something feeling grounded and earthy without completely detaching the listener from you know the, the creation process of making a song yeah no, that's great. There was another artist. He's completely opposite of it. I, I recently found VHS Head. I don't know if you've ever heard him or not, but no. <laughs> I think he's I think he's from Europe. But he okay. he has a huge collection of old '90s VHS tapes, horror movies, and and whatnot. And he samples them and creates songs based off of little bits of oh, like nice. the soundtrack or like the some a, a voiceover blurb from Tremors or whatever. And and oh, cool. he, he creates this like real deep, dark, evil sounding story out of it. It's, it's weird and great at the same time. Wow. I'll have to check that out. It sounds really cool. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty awesome. I, I like, I live for the weird and metalhead Monday said he has a question. I'll, I'll quit rambling here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good at that for the record. <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, I actually, (laughs) I actually had a specific song I wanted to ask about. I was curious about, um, your song, the cure. Mm. Um, it it absolutely blew me away. Um, it, it, the way it starts with just the, you know, the organ and it's real, it's kind of a little bit of a droney, almost staccato thing and you singing over it and, man, when it comes in, it just punches you in the, and you're like, whoa, I was not expecting that. And it, it, it's almost, it has a little bit of that. Paul mentioned the, you know, Trent Reznor just playing the piano. It has a little bit of that feel. And then it comes in I'm like, man, this is almost like a, it's got a little bit of a Southern flavor to it. Yeah. And 
it's very very cool song um my question was actually about the um the warm audio video because that is the first i i saw that video before i listened to the album and i was like huh this is an interesting idea and i it, did they approach you and did they pick that song specifically and like how did how did that all work um they um uh, they approached me but they allowed me to select which song uh okay. that i wanted to choose um i picked the cure because i felt like song wise vocal wise and performance wise uh it people used to go wild for it at our shows um people love the simplicity and the message behind that song and it's also like it's also a song that really like grabs you by the by the ass and like tell like forces you to yes. like kind of come on just get up and you know it really does fight yeah. for you know for your your right to be uh you know uh, an autonomous human being and so i think that that's yeah. i try i just i loved that i've always loved that song i wrote it i started writing it uh when i was living in jersey um i had you know i was writing it on my guitar and then i showed it to my producer and he's like he loved it and then he started building upon it and we came to this like big wall of sound sort of thing where it hits you right in the face and I love that the, the audience never expects it either because when we do it live people think oh okay it's starting out as like a soft yeah. song like yeah and then it's like it, it just, <laughs> the it, it's almost back. it's almost that trick where uh you talk quietly when you're doing a presentation or if you're you know comedians do it sometimes you speak quietly to kind of so everybody kind of leans in and listens and then yes. bam you're like <laughs> and oh, it's such a great song but mm -hmm. i was really curious about the the video like how 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 that all worked with the selection and all that yeah yeah they uh they were doing those videos for a while and uh, i was really shocked that they reached out and and, and asked me to be part of that because it was it's always good like you know you don't really get opportunities like that all the time where you're able to create something um that professional for a live sort of scenario and I was just excited because mm -hmm. I really, I, I needed to show people that um, I'm more than just a studio rat. Like I love <laughs> live and I love performance and it gives people a sense of who I am as a person, not just as a, as a, like a producer writer. So. That's a cool Whatever too. warm warm audio is doing, it's working because <laughs> I am not a musician. I don't use any of that gear. I've never heard of warm audio, but I've watched that video like ten times. So. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm a for Rhodes too. Yeah, I love the Rhodes in that track. Yeah, well. yeah. Here's a question for you. It's deep. Since Whitney mentioned Joni Mitchell, Pink Floyd, etc., does she find the messages to be more? Or less important than sound where music and voice has a wonderful blend so i'm curious i don't think i mean maybe everyone does this approaches it differently but i can't separate message from sound i think one informs the other you know when you start writing it works both ways sometimes i start out with a melody or uh you know and then all of a sudden the melody informs the lyrics you know the, the sound of a, of a melody line and where it goes can and it can ask for a certain subject matter, a chord progression, depending on the mood of the chord progression, will ask you for something. And so I try to listen in tandem. And whenever I'm writing something, I make sure that, am I serving the song or am I serving myself? And I think the answer is always to have both of those things be synonymous and feel natural. 
is that they have to be in unity with one another. Um, for me, obviously, message is very important because I am a writer. And so it is harder for me to write uh, songs that make no sense because there's a lot of them out there where the lyrics <laughs> just make no sense. But it works because it fits the sound. Sometimes you have to make those sacrifices because it sounds good. But uh, I'll do my best to make sure it means something first. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. All right. You're going to have to explain some of these to us. Are you ready? Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. So The Left is a show. I have an acoustic show coming up. Mm -hmm. um, that's going to be a solo show with my friend Tom. We're going to do a couple of acoustic songs in Beverly Hills at Attitude Lounge. Excellent. So we hope to see anyone there that wants to just kind of have an intimate one-on-one -on -one sort of sesh. And the right is Gritty and Pink. They've been organizing uh, live events. They're all about helping females kind of rise up in the music industry and have a community and platform in which to to express their music and art. And, um, you know, it's just an, it's a community making opportunities. And Shira, who heads up uh, Gritty and Pink, she's so great at bringing uh, all types of artists together and, and showcasing them and highlighting them. This will be an event that's going on at the Echo um, in Echo Park. Um, it's going to be like a jam, kind of similar to Ultimate Jam Night. It's all girls getting up and performing an unrehearsed song together for the first time. Um, cool. So yeah, it should be that. I've, this is the second one I've done with them. We did another one um, in Long Beach um, a few months ago. And this one's for Pride Month. So I'm excited about that. There's a lot of cool artists on the bill there. And I know a lot of these girls on there. So it's like kind of like a big family event whenever you do one of these, because you get to hang out with all the people that you know in the industry, which is really fun. I see uh, Emily Dickinson will be performing. So I, that'd be cool to hear some of her poems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would be weird if she was there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Considering the time issues. <laughs> All right, so I've got a couple of the stills I showed earlier. What is this uh, photo from? This is a still from my music video for Incantation. Mm -hmm. Love that song. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely gorgeous song. That's a cool video, too. I love all the black and white. It's know, cool so. to watch, but it was difficult to film that video. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was so cold. And this is the Oregon, North California coastline during Ooh. the, mm. the, the mm. fall, spring. So Ooh. yeah, it was mm. freezing. So we suffered for this art. <laughs> <laughs> and those are typically long days when you're filming things like this, too. So yes. But my the violinist who co-wrote this with me, um, she was a beast. She was out there in the water barefoot. She was like, yeah. And she's like on the violin, like oh going crazy. I'm like, you're nuts. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> but she didn't care. It's like frostbite or not. She was out there in the water, like just like, you know, and uh, I, I had forgotten how much I lost my New York roots in that moment when I was just like freezing cold. Um, you know? <laughs> Anything for art. I know. Oh, yeah. But that yeah. that song, Incantation and Starfish, are like definitely two of my highlights on Apogee. Yeah. So that very, was have you heard of nice. the uh, the musician? I think his name is Quabs out of the UK. Um, you guys are hitting me with all these new artists. I have. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's got a song called. Put Move in the me. show notes. Yeah, <laughs> he, he's got a song that called "Move Me." That's one of my absolute faves. The music video Ooh. visually is beautiful too. And he's out in the middle of the snow, walking with minimal oh, no. clothes on, and and like it's deep too. And somebody asked what it was like filming that 
video and all he said was very cold <laughs> and so you know i can only imagine you know suffering for the art in in those fashions for sure yeah. I, I you know i'm i'm here in the midwest so i'm you know resilient to the elements but i have my limitations <laughs> yes yes very nice um this was a recently i did a they had my friend mike green he put on a private house show it was really nice because there was a lot of talented musicians there that were playing and featured that night and I was excited that he asked me to be part of it because it was like the first sort of community show outside of COVID that I had participated in. Um, and it's always nice doing house shows because in LA they seem to be, they seem to be better than the venue sometimes because people are way more attentive. You really like people show up for the purpose of, of hearing a show, you know, it's, they're not just at the bar hanging out or like mm -hmm. being loud. So. I, I live for more of these types of performances where um, it's a curated event with other bands, local bands, and um, I had a lot of fun that day. What'd you play? Uh, actually, new songs off my upcoming record. So um, right now I'm sort of doing what I did with Apogee. I'm like field testing all my new songs, seeing what people respond to, kind of getting a gauge of, of the response of, you know, where it's going and it does help because when you get in the studio to like finish do all the finishing touches things you might have done in the live performance you might want to incorporate into the final recording mm -hmm. so I, I i did that with apogee that's actually how not without love became this sort of really big choral because uh, it started out more subdued and when i started playing that one live i, I started belting out those choruses yeah. live. like oh shit like this would be so cool on the record i gotta find a way to make this work and you know tim and i massaged the crap out of it and we were able to make it work so definitely uh, a big vocal on that one yeah cool so was the reception warm is that what you were hoping yeah. for for your new record yeah i, I was mm. i am really i was just more so emotional to play these songs because i had been sitting on them like from covid because i wrote a bunch of them during covid and then some of them were new new compositions i wrote with tom so hearing people's response and then I played, um, I played solo on one of my, a song that I, you know, I played some acoustic of my own and I just, I love the response that people had, you know, it's like every time I get behind the guitar, people really like that. So I'm trying to do more of that, um, you know, in my shows just before we were doing full band performances. So it was like rock shows. So I wasn't doing acoustic at the time. So but I've been enjoying the process of, of stripping things down and making it feel more raw and, and organic. You should do what Ashton does. He does a, like, like a Facebook night where he'll just sit in his <laughs> living room and play the uh, acoustic guitar and sing. Yeah. And people <laughs> go crazy for it. And it's so good. So you I, should, I love you Ashton's should music. Yeah. Well, that is excellent. I can't wait for your record. We are definitely going to review it on the show. Gentlemen, do you have any last questions for Miss Ty? We've kept her now over an hour. So <laughs> respect um, time. Quick, uh, something quick. Uh, how was the uh, the tiny desk experience? Uh, that was what, like a like an audition or something that you did. Yeah. Was that all that was? Yeah, it was just an, an entry video into the contest. I was like the first time that I was able to get something together fast enough to be able to submit. Cause it's like, you always find out about these things too late and you're like, oh crap, I missed the mm -hmm. deadline. So like I, uh, I picked one of the first, the first song I ever released 
because that was a, a pop dance song. And I was like, I'm gonna strip this down and just do it acoustic and uh, in a way people haven't heard it yet. And so, you know, that's still one of my most streamed songs to be loved. Very so, cool. And um, who was that that performed with you? That's, uh, his name was Andrew, uh, Andrew Dodge. So he was, okay. he was performing with me a lot when I lived in Portland. And he performed with me also in The Cure on that warm audio video as well. Um, okay. Oh, yeah, 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 okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, we, we did a couple of shows together and stuff, but he's kind of gone solo and he's working on some other things now. So I've kind of moved into, I kind of shifted my players around a little bit and I'm working with different people. And that's the thing, like as you, as you grow with different musicians, they all, everybody goes different ways and you kind of have to, you kind of have to hold on to your sound because uh, some people become so integral to your sound and you know you can you can hear that in bands like yes you know you take rick wakeman away and like you have like a huge chunk of your sound kind of ripped away from mm -hmm. from uh, the band so uh, that's been that's been a struggle of mine is keeping my sound intact as the musicians move in and out of the project so yeah all right yeah well, Miss Ty, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. <clears throat> Is there anything that we missed that you just got to get out there? Um, I think we covered a lot. I mean, uh, there's a few releases that I have out that I don't know if you guys found on the internet, but um, I put out an EP right before I, I left uh, New York called Forever. And it's, it's, uh, it's a little rock EP. You can find it on my Spotify channel. Cool. Um, I was at the time I was listening to the Smiths a lot and I was feeling a certain kind of way about life. So that, that was a fun little thing. And then I don't know if you saw flowers by the roadside. That was like a, like a single release that I, I called it a mini EP, like a folktronica EP. Um, it's kind of got like this, the carpenters vibe, but like stripped down, like really, really, really pared down. Um, mm. And I wrote those with like a classical guitar player that I'm really close friends with here in LA. And uh, so those, those are two fun ones that I really love. I still have like an emotional attachment to those songs um, lyrically and just musically because they're so different than everything else that I have out there. Um, but as of right now, I'm just stoked to like keep working on this record. I'm also working on a new single right now with, with Tim, uh, Tim Jansen's. So that one I'm, I can't wait to let out into the world because it's a really cool song. It's different. Is yeah. that stuff released under his name? Uh, no, um, it's, everything's under mine. Okay, name. cool. Yeah. Okay, just want to make sure. Fantastic. Yeah. Now we have work to do, guys. We get to go look up some more music. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm definitely on the Spotify stuff. Yeah. I'll go as deep as I can because I'm gonna. I'm a playlist guy and. If I find an artist I like, I like to build the playlist so I have everything in one spot and I don't have to, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. mess around with shifting between stuff. So I, I will definitely be checking all of that out. Cool. And it's also fun yeah, to listen so... to an artist and then see where it takes you on a random algorithm playlist, too, because there's things that are similar and that kind of thing. True. So. True. Yep. Okay, Whitney, we're, um, if people are trying to find you on uh, the Internet or anywhere for your music, where can they go? Um, you can just, you can go to, if you want to like go to the center, you can just go to my website at WhitneyTimeMusic.com. You can get offshoots to whatever platform you like being on from that website. You can find me on Instagram at WhitneyTie or TikTok at WhitneyTie. Um, Twitter is also WhitneyTie. 
So pretty much all the platforms, I'm on all of them. So it's if you just type it into Google, you should it, it should be easy to kind of pop up and, and find where I'm at. But Did you say WhitneyTimeMusic.com? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Gotcha. Yeah. We'll just put that right there. Cool. And you spelled it right. Yay. Just quiet. <laughs> tell you, JPP. Uh-huh. Well, again, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Uh, we are big fans, and we will continue to follow and support you and uh, shout from the rooftops uh, what an amazing artist you are. Yep. Thank and you. You guys are awesome. I had so much fun. It didn't even feel like an hour and 20. I'm just like, <laughs> I know. I was, enjoy- <laughs> I was yeah. enjoying just the different, like being able to talk to all of you. And, you know, it's usually just a one on one sort of thing. So to have this kind of chat, this four up thing going on was kind of fun. So. Well, thank you for your time. And, uh, you know, I, we're always shocked when someone actually wants to speak to us uh, rather than <laughs> us finding them. So. So, well, yeah. I would imagine anyone that Steve is affiliated with is really dope. So I, I, I figure we were just going to have a great time. Anyway. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she just said you guys were dope. So I'm going to mark that down. May dope. 29th. Yeah. You two are officially dope. Nice. Yes. And I just want to say, you know, thanks for, for making music. I mean, it's in the 21st century, it's easy to do, but it's also very challenging to do, you know what I mean? So in the world of preset loops and that sort of thing, to forge your own path is uh, sometimes a daunting task. So um, I definitely appreciate your voice. I appreciate the elements that surround it. Um, And I really look forward to your future endeavors. So please keep us posted. We will be more than happy to ingest it. We're all fans. So (laughs) you guys are awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. And you can find Whitney Ty at WhitneyTyMusic.com. And you can find Wanderings and Wool Gathering on YouTube, Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, CastBox, and SoundCloud. You can find album, movie, TV, (laughs) comics reviews at WanderingsAndWoolGathering.com. See you next week for episode 115. We are breaking form again because my daughter insists that we review Harry Styles. I listened to half of it today. Not so shabby. So next week will be a good time. So until then, everybody, bye now. Bye. Thank you.